podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything. Sometimes we get messy and it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. Sometimes I'm black. Sometimes I'm a woman. Sometimes I'm both at the same damn time. So you know what it is. 5011 jobs, umpteen hours. This week I'm a sommelier for MD 2020, a quadruple agent for the Internal Revenue Service, and I also paint those yellow lines on streets and roads. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you, Mel. Um, I just have to mention that um, anytime I think of MD twenty twenty, I think about um, I think the last time I drank it was actually the day that Michael Jackson died. And oh I always, no, those two things connected because like MJ and then I think of MD. Um, but I remember yeah, MD twenty twenty. I was like seventeen or eighteen or however old two twenty what two thousand five. Yeah. Maybe it was, is it 2005? No. Oh. Was it 2005 or 2005? I, I feel like I was older than that because I, I think I was still not able to buy MD2020, but I remember <laughs> drinking it and finding out about Michael Jackson's death. Um, it was 2009. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. so, like, 20, I think. 2009? Yeah, 20. Um, I'm Maximiliano. A.K. Maxi Max, A.K. Mad Max, um, wandering the wasteland for easels and oil paints. <laughs> um, so, how do you support NTP, Max? Wait, what did you say? How do you support NTP? Thank you for asking me, Melanie. <laughs> um, NTP can be supported in a number of ways. Um, Natural Project, we have a Patreon page. Um, where you can join, become a member, um, you get pins, you get buttons, um, you get totes, you get exclusive zines, um, and exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall, um, so we get extra messy. We have an Etsy store where um, you can buy all the stuff. You, we have totes, 
we have publications, we have also have zines, um, buttons, pins, all that good stuff. Um, we have chapstick. Um, <laughs> you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave a review. Um, leave a review on YouTube. Leave a review on any of the services or sites, and we will read them here. Um, if you have a question, we'll also take those questions and answer them. Um, all that stuff, you can reach us at all those places or at, email us at natturnerprojectzero at gmail.com and we will read it on here and try our best to answer it. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you, Max. Um, I would like to report that we got one review. Technically, it was on my Facebook, but uh, I think we're going to count that. And the review was, I love your podcast by Ebony. So. Oh, yeah. All right. So tonight, um, you may recognize the third voice that you heard. We are lucky enough to chat with an artist that both Max and I have had the pleasure of working with several times. It's Makai Arian. Hi, Kai. How are you? What up? What up? What's going on? Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Thanks for coming out in the middle of a pandemic to record with us. <laughs> Ain't got else, nothing else to do, but I did want to do this. I did want to do this. <laughs> Um, Max, why don't you tell the people about Makai's work? Yes, um, Makai Arion is an interdisciplinary artist creating work about race and gender identity, historical geography, environmental ontology, and social paradigm. With a focus in filmmaking and writing, she articulates intense commentaries about her social political concerns that manifest through her visual creations. Centering on her experiences as a black American woman, she intends to present alternate realities that persist in the minds of those who interact with her work. Born and raised in Oakland, California, Makai is now based in Portland, Oregon. Period. All right. Thank you. Um, so in light of recent events, um, we have decided to slightly change the formatting of our um, show to reflect um, the changes. So while we're asking you about your practice, we're also going to be talking with you about how you are changing or adjusting that practice to adapt to these shifting times and shifting narratives and shifting worlds and all that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I will say that, you know, uh, with everything that's going on I'm definitely doing um, I wouldn't say better than most but I would definitely acknowledge you know the certain privileges I have that other people specifically people close to me don't have um, you know I have a roof over my head I have the access to Wi-Fi and things like that so um, I have my I have my loved ones right now my loved ones are all in good health so um, yeah I w I've, I've been kind of I've been kind of cruising a little bit um and i'm a hermit so i won't i won't this is like a hermit's dream i you know i won't you know minus minus the you know the horrible situation of people dying but um in terms of like being forced to be stuck in the house i already do that so um you know it, it, it hasn't been a big adjustment for me as you know far as other people um and you know being on lockdown so yeah. Um, and you uh, were currently 
um, in your thesis year um, for your BFA when all yes. this popped off. Yes. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the kind of pre-Rona, post-Rona effect on your thesis? Yeah, so um, so my, for my thesis, I'm doing like a cinematic book where you, uh, it's a story, a fictional story told through writing and film. So you read a chapter and then you watch a chapter on film and then you come back to the book and read the third chapter. So my project really didn't require me to use a lot of the facilities at PNCA, uh, which is the school that I'm getting my BFA from. Uh, but I was in the midst of filming when everything popped off. I was filming back home in the Bay Area, and um, it definitely put a halt on <laughs> a lot of things that I had planned to do. You know, I wanted to do like book signings and you know all of these things that would call that would um, call for person-to-person contact. Um, but I was in a pretty solid place before everything happened, but post-corona, I would definitely say that um, things have things have definitely changed, and I will say that I'm very grateful for the internet age, um, because I couldn't imagine trying to, like, sell my books in an age where, like, there's no internet, and there's no easy, like, connect ship station to, like, <laughs> you know, my yeah. website and all, and all, and the things like that, um, so, so my project really hasn't changed much um but it's been weird being in class online and um kind of you know inviting people into your space at home that wouldn't usually be there um I mean they're not you know physically there but a a little bit for me I feel like they are and so that's been a little weird um (laughs) so uh you know and I think people like to um there's I think people feel more comfortable like because we are not we are um you know virtual so it's been weird to like see how teachers who are like super professional are like you know I don't know I would I'm not gonna put anybody on black but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know they're, they're just they're becoming a little more lax so that's been cool I guess to kind of see that but um this will be I I've never had a graduation so you know I, I graduated from high school and got my diploma, but my school was um, extremely racist and corrupt. And so I said, you know, can I cuss on here? Yeah, yeah. This like, is explicit. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so I basically was just like, you know, like, fuck the graduation. Uh-huh. Um, and because I'm going to act a fool if I do go. So, <laughs> so, you know, I said, you know, forget the graduation. And so I didn't go. And I just picked up my diploma. And now I was excited to actually have the graduation ceremony, but that's not happening. So um, then maybe the next time I'll graduate will be from graduate school. So we'll, you know, we'll we'll see what transpires with that. But but yeah, that's what that's where I'm at with with artwork pre-rona, post-rona type of deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about um, this book and the themes that you're exploring and the kind of the path that led you to that? Yeah. So I mean, I've been. I do, I do a lot, as Max so eloquently spoke about. Um, thank you for that introduction. I do a lot um, 
photography, you know, hand-making quilts, doing alternative photography, Van Dyke, you know, salt printing, writing, filmmaking, just the whole nine. So I wanted to create something that encapsulated all of those things that I do. So the book Mustard Green and all of those things that I'm doing are in context of my experience as a black woman, but really I've become interested in the idea of black people and the environment and specifically our traumas um, and violence that we experience associated with the environment, which another word for that could be the environmental racism that we experience. So I started writing this story. I knew I wanted to do a fictional story and um, I you know, was really inspired by my great grandparents who are no longer with me, but I had the privilege of being able to be with them until I was 17 and 19, which is when they both, you know, uh, each passed away. And so they've had a really big influence on my life coming up. And so the story is really based on my great grandmother who in Oakland, they owned a home and she grew mustard greens in the backyard. And she thought that these mustard greens would like heal any ailment you had. Like she would just, she just wanted to you to eat them with every meal. You were sick, okay, I'm gonna make some mustard greens. You know, you, you tired, I'm gonna make some mustard greens. You happy, I'm gonna make mustard greens. Like she would just always make them. So, and it was a, it was a meal that lasted a long time. And I started thinking about, you know, the agency that she had in growing her mustard greens in her backyard when the homeowners association was telling her that she couldn't have a plot and all this, you know, just the things that were happening because the area that they lived in in Oakland, it was a predominantly white area when they moved in. And then over time it became, you know, more black and brown people living there. Mm-hmm. So the story kind of transpired from there and I wanted it to be like this magical uh, you know, fictitious, fictitious story that was still rooted in kind of modern day times with, you know, black people having to deal with, uh, white neighbors or even having to deal with our own psyche again, with things that we've experienced in, you know, traumatics, um, on the environment. So mustard greens actually have a copy right here. Oh, nice. Yeah. This is, this is, this is one of the copies um, it's a four by six, four by six book. Um, it, 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 there's so many, there's so many elements I'm stuttering cause I don't know, even know where to start, but <laughs> there, there's, there's so many elements. And I think the best way to describe it is that there's like stories, there's three stories within the overall, uh, book or, or story itself. Um, but essentially it is, it, it's, it follows, uh, four major characters, excuse me, that are all black and are homeowning, educated, and uh, are just living. And then, you know, they're being, they're dealing with their own dreams. I I talk a lot about dreams um, and the white violence from their neighbors. So yeah, that's, that's, that's basically mustard greens in a nutshell. Wow. Um, Max, do you have a question? And and where can uh, people like get the book? Oh, yes, the plug, the plug. <laughs> the book will be out. I'm tripping. The book will be out April 20th, and this will be available for purchase on my website at makaiarian.com. Okay. And I'm going to be doing a lot of – the link will also be on my social media page, which is makai underscore. Um, but the books will be available for purchase April 20th. Okay. Can you can you say your Instagram again? I think it like um, cut out. Yes. 
So my Instagram is Makai underscore Arion, M-I-K-A-I underscore A-R-I-O-N. Okay. And my website is the same, dot com. Okay, and we'll include all that information in the show notes, too, so people can just click on it. Dope, dope. And then there's a there's a video or a film component. Yes, yes, yes. So um, there's a so chapter there's three chapters. It's a it's a cinematic short story is how I'm describing it. Um, so chapter two is a film, and so there's like a chapter two insert that directs you to go watch a password protected film. The the chapter two. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to like to see what people's thoughts are because this is like a new form of media. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm like the creator of it. There's other people that have been doing this, you know, similar things. But yeah, it's not a lot of people are doing it, so that's that's kind of cool. Okay. Um. You. I. I've been following your work for a while, and um, I think it's really interesting the way that you incorporate storytelling and narrative um as a tool can you talk a little bit about what that particular component means to you in this work yeah i i've actually been uh thinking a lot about this i feel like black people are born storytellers we have no choice but to be that um and i think that that has a lot to do with uh, us being original people, indigenous people of this planet. Um, and so for me, in talking about storytelling, storytelling is is what I do as a human being. It's my, I feel like my spiritual purpose on this plane is to carry on the stories of my ancestors, to carry on their memories, because that's what I really feel stories are. I feel like stories are the brain trying to uh, locate itself and um, ground itself through memory so that's so that's what I feel like I'm doing in terms of my artistic practice is figuring out how I'm doing what I just explained but also carrying on the stories of my ancestors so there's a deep scientific uh, and I'm a Virgo so I I can't not (laughs) go into the scientifics of it but yeah I think that there's a a deep um, science to it, but also like a spiritual, cultural element. And so within my work, I always, always try to embed somehow a, uh, a story, whether that's linear or not, I feel like that's necessary. And I've gotten to the point in my artistic practice where I you know, admire people like Damon Davis, who has said that I'm a storyteller and I just use these different mediums to express the story, so. yeah. Yeah, that makes it. That makes me think about um, something I've been thinking about recently. Um, like this idea, I think I think it started at um, that. There's like a Che Gosselin talk at uh, Ori Gallery for Homeschool a few months mm-hmm. back, and um, this like the whole thing came up about like uh, how how like whiteness is really like about forgetting, and it's really this like yes. things that are constantly replacing something else, and then forgetting like where it comes from, and like forgetting like everything else around it. Then like how blackness is like this remembering, and like right. the storytelling, right. and like these two uh, different like things going against each other. And I love the idea that yeah, like so much, so much of it is like remembering, is storytelling, is like you know, in dealing with like mortality, mortality, we, we like tell mm-hmm. stories to to extend to like reach back into and to the future you know right 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 definitely 
And um, now with like um, you know the pandemic and quarantine, are you have you been thinking about like different ways? Because like originally, I know you know you were gonna have like thesis and you're gonna have like um, your defense and you're gonna have like a screening for the for the film portion and stuff like that. Has that have you been thinking about different ways for doing that stuff now? Yeah, um, I mean, the institution that I'm still, you know, attached with, PNCA, they are trying to figure out how they're going to do, like, focus week from home. Um, so there will be an opportunity for, it's it's all up in the air, but basically you to record something or you to do a live Zoom and, like, ask questions after. Um, but before they gave that, I was thinking about, you know, I really just want to have a conversation about the work. Um, so I really want to, you know, get the books out there and, you know, create maybe some type of like book club situation or, or something where I can just hear feedback from people and then also talk about the work. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I really just want people to experience it. Um, and I've also now, you know, changed a little bit chapter, there's a chapter two insert, um, that I, I spoke about, you know, that's going to allow people to go, uh, visit the link and view the film in that chapter two insert, I've inserted a line about the virus and basically that mm. there was supposed to be a screening, but that's, you know, was no longer happening because of the viruses going around. So um, that was something that really was important to me to kind of like place this thing that I created in time, in this time, I because I didn't want to just put it out there and then it kind of be a floating. I mean, it says that it's made in 2020 in the, you know, about page, but... I really wanted it to have um, a resonance of that loss. And like you were talking about, Max, like the remem- the remembering, and especially like remembering the loss of, you know, on this level, something, you know, a small, well, I couldn't have a screening, but it more so for me speaks to like the loss of the black people that are dying right now. Like this was something that couldn't happen because of the virus and kind of guiding people to, re- to think about other things that were lost um, due to this time, so. I think one of the major undercurrents that I see in your work is kind of this this critique of um, the economic ramifications of racism, of structural um, racism and violence. Um, is that something that you plan to continue taking on in future iterations of the work, especially given the current economic violence that we're witnessing right now? Yeah. Um, I think if I understand, if I understand your question, you're talking about uh, economic ramifications on black people. Yes. Um, yeah. Based off of racism. Yeah. That's something that is very important to me in my work. I definitely would say that I am not an artist who um, likes to make work for free. I I think that, you know, I think that that's something that actually, uh, has been warped as we saw white people take over the art sphere that when, uh, black people have always been making, Mm -hmm. but I think when we were allowed into their club, then there became this ethos or, uh, kind of message that was being sent out of oh if you're gonna make art that's a moral job and you don't need to make money (laughs) and I think and I think that that was a message that was being told specifically to a group of people that group of people being black and brown 
people, artists who were creating. Mm -hmm. And so, especially in talking about art and the economic ramifications of racism, I think that we're still seeing that today. And there's like two sides of the coin to that. There's, you know, um, and it, it creates a paradox for us. You know, there's the artists who I would say, like myself, wants to make moral work, but also wants to get paid. Um, but that's hard because of the things that we've already been talking about, the racism that exists so prevalently. But then there's the other side of the artist who is just struggling and just wants to make money no matter what, that they're, that they're willing to do whatever to get the money. And the moral thing is not really um, important to them. So, which I still blame on the white man. So, <laughs> so that's uh, what I want to still call attention to. When in making my definitely like we gotta get we gotta get paid and if if you can do the moral thing while you're doing that great and if you can't let's have a conversation about about what's going on there and kind of heal that and work that out. Yeah. Do you think um, getting paid is like the solution? I think that it is a it. I don't I don't know if this is the, it's the solution. But it's definitely, um, I mean, I, I know people always say, oh, put a, putting a Band-Aid on it is like a, is like a bad term. But Band-Aids feel good. Like, <laughs> like Band-Aid helps. Like, it's, I think that anything that helps, because right now we're not getting shit. So it's like, if anything that helps, I'm, I'm all for that. But also keeping in mind, like, the root to the issue, it, I don't even know the solution of where to begin. But I definitely think that money... I think that money helps and money is definitely money's definitely power the way that things are built in this white capitalist world now because even though you know we talk about America it, it the white I feel like you know whiteness has spread like it, the white supremacy has spread to other countries and they're also following in their you know in in that footstep and that model so yeah I think yeah money money helps <laughs> money money for sure helps for sure How this do you... is something. Oh, sorry, okay. you go. Um, this is something that I think I had. You know, like where you have like um, a memory and then you forget it and then you remember it again. And you're like, so I think I've thought about this like three or four times. Um, and this is kind of tangential to what we we're saying, but talking about like, um, like black economics and stuff. Then I remember uh, your your video piece that you showed at the um, the Drinking Guard Fellows exhibit, mm-hmm. and um, the yeah. one of the one of them one of the people you're interviewing was the weed store green hop and um i actually only fairly recently a couple months ago moved to uh, alberta and um like i live off of alberta in 20th now um you can't be giving people the address no it's not the address (laughs) they're not gonna know what house i'm living at all right okay i've I've started going to that weed store now to make a long story short (laughs) green green hop become my weed store and um yeah I like and how it's like, dope in there. Yeah, it's super cool. And I like how uh, you know, like circles complete, and um, all the people that work there are black, and they're like, yes. yeah, and they do a lot of they do a lot of um, economic uh, trying to get black people to have economic wealth, and they have like a whole program called GoGreenHop.com, which on their on their website, but they have something called GreenHop Academy, um, and people a lot of people don't know this, but they were actually working with Nipsey Hussle, and so that. That was something that, um, you know, so they were they were really hit hard when that when that tragedy of his life ending happened. 
um, because they were work they were working with him and they knew him um, because he was all for you know black economic wealth and growth and so um, yeah they have the Green Hop Academy and I've been looking at it um, because they you know I, we know the cannabis industry is booming and one thing that Nicole Kennedy said in that documentary that always stuck with me is like we should definitely since we overrepresent in the prison population from cannabis that they put us in there we should over you know we should over represent as well in this new legal you know stuff that they've got going on with when it comes to the cannabis industry so that's dope that's dope yeah no yeah i'm i'm glad that i live close to it and i'm glad that um i knew about it from from your video from your art piece it's sanctuary right yeah the title of the piece yeah and with sanctuary you you spotlighted what was it three different um black businesses in portland Yes, yes, yeah. three black businesses, yeah. How did you choose those three businesses? Um, I, I will say, in Portland, it wasn't it wasn't a lot to choose from. <laughs> um, so, so I'm, I'm going to just, because I, I actually went to five businesses, and three just really, uh, you know, honed in the message that I was trying to portray mm-hmm. um, and represent. Because um, a lot of people think documentaries are... are uh, unpartisan but they aren't no <laughs> and that's, you know one of the great things about a documentary is you can have that what you want to say is the truth but there's still my message of what i want to put forth so um and what i wanted to put forth was black economic power and growth and beauty and black decoration of space and all of those things um so it wasn't it wasn't hard to choose from because there weren't a lot <laughs> But I did go to five. I did go to five businesses, and how kind of the criterion that I was looking at was um, businesses who own, who actually owned property, or who were renting a space, mm-hmm. like a physical, tangible space. Because there there are a lot of black businesses in Portland, a lot of black entrepreneurs, a lot of black freelancers that just don't have like a tangible space Mm -hmm. and so they didn't fit for what I was trying to say with the documentary is that like we need space um tangible space I want us to be you know visible with tangible space and also calling attention to the fact that you know Portland tore down over a hundred something businesses Mm -hmm. which is what Paul Knowles was talking about in, in his section of the documentary they tore down all of those spaces Yes. So we so we we have nowhere to actually you know if you are a freelancer or an entrepreneur that is working from home you know you you could have potentially had a space but you that's no longer available to you anymore you could have had a storefront but because that you know environmental racism happened with them redlining and literally as in, in Paul Nose's word bulldozed <laughs> bulldozed the buildings down that's no longer available to us so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, like, things are shaky for black and brown people now in terms of, like, property ownership, um, given the long extensive history of, like, theft and plunder, and most recently the, um, housing bubble burst, um, that exposed the subprime mortgage loans, um, how do you think the pandemic is going to affect, um, like, black and brown property ownership in general? Like, 
that's something I, I thought mean, about too. Um, I mean, it, it in a short answer, it's going to affect us negatively, as it always does, because when things like this happen, it only exposes that since y'all want to talk about oh, we live in a post-racialist society, it only it only exposes that the issues are still there and we don't. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, there's still, that you're, you know, there's been sweeping under the rug. And when I mean y'all, I mean not you two. I right, mean, right. You know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it, it only exposes that. And so we're always going to be, you know, the, the, the end, we're always going to get the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. So in a short answer, it's going to affect us negatively. But it, it is interesting how um, with social media, so if we look at Katrina, for example, um, disaster capitalism is a huge, huge moneymaker for those people. So, you know, you're oh, wait, looking at Kai, Katrina, sorry. Um, hey, Kai. You know, can you repeat? Is can you? Out? Yeah, cut out a little bit. If you can just repeat that. Um, yes, yeah, so I said, you know, if we look at Katrina, mm-hmm. disaster capitalism is a huge moneymaker for the evil people that are in power. Right. And so, you know, when that happened, we were not only left to die, but we, you know, when the people, the, those of us that did survive, we came back to homes that were no longer there or were like, oh, this has been, the bank owns this now because you couldn't make a payment or, you know, just, just it absolutely inconceivable you know situations and so when looking at the coronavirus right now i think that um is it the difference is that back then social media wasn't as prevalent as it is right now i don't even know if instagram was as big as it is right you know right now or facebook or any of those things but now social media being what it is people feel a need to be activists through social media and they feel like they the, the, the way that they're going to be an activist is saying something which I, I i appreciate because i'm not sure if going out and protesting is is the way that things are able to operate you know in this day and age i would never s- discourage anyone from doing that but i just think that we live in a different time and so use whatever avenue you you know you feel suits you but in terms of especially the housing crisis i mean it, it it's real funny that you know the, it's not funny but I'm, I'm using that as a as mm-hmm. a you know a metaphor i think it's really funny how what's happening in china right you know china right now that that you have black people african people of african descent who are being kicked out evicted from their apartments and houses because we now have been labeled as the face of the of the coronavirus and so you know i mean it's it i feel like the situation is so complex that it's hard to even tackle you know one one problem we talked earlier we were talking about solutions you know is money a solution it's so many the what racism has done as blow blow the issue up and because it never fixes anything, so now the issue has become this extreme, complex paradox that we're all swarming in, trying to figure out any way that we can to solve or help or heal or remedy the the, the horrible things that are happening. But all I all I know is that coming back to the money thing, there money is not a solution, but a lot of times I feel like it is because what's happening right now just only further proves the point that we deserve reparations 
and that's something that I'm a big advocate for. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, there are people right now who are just com- completely homeless. Like you talking about the the housing crisis. Like what what more of a struggle to go through than having to sleep on the street? You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm at with my thoughts on it. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like, the, the question of reparations, because not only does it expose how important and necessary reparations could and would be, but it's yeah. also exposing how it's possible, right? Yes. Which was yeah. always the counter-argument, that the, the, the cost is so high that we wouldn't be able to manage it. But now, because everyone's in trouble... Mm-hmm. including the businesses, mm-hmm. they can give out stimulus checks right. to everyone. So the idea of possibility and what is viable and what isn't is being so exposed right now in a very interesting way. Right. So. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't even think about it like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not even think about it like that. Yeah, that's true for sure. Yeah. Um, you mentioned social media and like, I've been like living for these IG lives. Um, they've been pretty amazing. We were talking about that before the start of the show. Like, it feels like everybody, um, all the black entertainers, all the black celebs are getting on IG live and just like entertaining the people for free. Um, except for Teddy Riley, but I'll talk about that later. Um, (laughs) but I don't see, I don't see like white celebrities doing the same, like, and maybe it's just the people I follow. I don't know. That's possibility, implicit bias, but I do, but I do. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that the way that black folks rally during times of crisis, because this, you know, this isn't our first rodeo. It's not our first dystopia. So, like, there's almost uh, an inherent need to kind of gather together in any way possible just to comfort each other, even if from a distance. Um, And I think that there's something to that in your work, too. I think that's uh, some of what you're talking about is that sort of the the kinship, the, the comfort and the healing. And I was wondering if you're thinking of, like, utilizing... Like, if this social distancing thing continues to go on, and there's a very high probability that it will, are you kind of thinking about ways to implement social media in order to to do the things um, that you did before? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a in a perfect world, you know, I wanted to just talk with black people specifically and black artists you know like yourselves um not to put you on the spot but i wanted to talk with people you know maybe on an instagram live or something like that to kind of you know follow what now i feel like is a precedent in history because right now this is a really historical a historical moment uh, which is a terrifying thought for me to you know hop on instagram live um, <laughs> even I, we talked a while i only got like 200 some followers but you know, <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the concept of um, I think the unpredictability, you know, I I don't know. And two, I I'm not a celebrity, so when I'm on celebrities' lives and people are going crazy in the comments saying all types of reckless shit, <laughs> I, 
they are. And I'm not saying that they're numb to it either, but the fact that, you know, how they're expected to uh, ignore it Mm -hmm. or if someone go wild in my comments, I don't know what might happen. So, you know, but... But on a, on, a, on a serious note, I am I am thinking about the ways that I can make it, uh, you know, more more accessible because um, I feel like social media is like it's the way it's the wave, and I don't know I won't I won't say the wave right now because it seems like the way that the world is going that it's just a new form of communication. So yeah, I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Hell yeah. This is, this is fun as hell, by the way. I'm really enjoying myself. Oh, thank you. We're enjoying ourselves, too. Yeah. How's that Ciroc? Oh, oh it's good. I, I, I didn't took my two. and. <laughs> is it hard for y'all to, like, have a day after, like, you know, two o'clock and drinking? Like, are you going to be, like, still in the game at, like, six? Or by then, is it already, like, nap time? Oh, no. No, it takes more than two two drinks to get me in that mood. Um. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like like many artists, um, I mean, me personally, I, I no offense to anyone else, or, or <laughs> past, I'm not passing judgment, but me, myself, I have never and will never go outside of the parameters of cannabis and alcohol. But for me, and like many other artists, they, you know, cannabis or, or whatever, I don't want to call them drugs, but I feel like they really do help and open up whatever that, whatever the third eye that holds the creativity, you know, is. Um, so later on today, I'm, you know, going to write two scores on the piano. I'm going to, you know, oh. get on and, and just see, you know, what comes up. I've been doing the musical score for my film thus far, and I got uh, two two songs that I think are, are cool. So... <laughs> Um, so for me, I feel like, you know, it, it, it opens up my creativity and I've never been one, you know, even when I was, you know, partaking in cannabis that I, I would never like people, my friends and stuff, you know, they'd be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, smoke and go to sleep. I'm like, what? you going to waste that creativity? you gonna, you gonna, you going to let it go to waste? I'm like, you know, because for, for me, it, it affects me differently. It really makes me think deep and hard about, you know, society and like art and yeah, it just brings out my creativity even more. So, mm-hmm. no, I won't be going to sleep in, <laughs> in a short time. I mean, I will say this, since we're talking about um, the drinking and the other extracurricular things. Um, <laughs> I think it was Cat Williams that said that weed makes makes people hungry, happy, and sleepy. I will concur, which is why when, when I partake in the cannabis, um, since we're being scientific today, um, I really can't get shit done. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I may, I, I'll eat a lot and then I'll go to sleep, but like, I can't really get any art done if I'm, if I'm on, if I'm on the green, on the trees, so but, been, you know, and not to get too, too technical, but you know, that might've been the Ignica, that might've been the Indica. You probably would have used some more, you know, sativa or a hybrid or something like that, but. See, you're, you're using a lot of words right now that I don't completely understand. Um, so. <laughs> we'll chat later. We'll chat okay. later. <laughs> um, no, so much, so much of this, like, you, the moment you said Cat Williams, that entire weed segment just started uh, playing over, over in my head again. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about like, um, like chemicals and then um, like balancing out chemicals. Because I am like, I'm somebody that like, it depends on what kind of art I want to do. Like, if I want to like think and ideate, I have no problem like smoking weed. But if I'm mm-hmm. trying to like um, maybe input that information into like a form, oh, maybe I shouldn't be high for that part. So it's like sometimes yeah. I need to know like what kind of aspect of the art practice is going to occur for me to be like, all right, I'm going to like smoke weed or uh, whatever. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but sometimes I too, like, I mean, because I love like, uh, you know, I love coffee and weed together. So I'll, oh. like, I'll like, like mm-hmm. to get high and then feel that energy, but then like love the the creativity that comes from, like, high doses of caffeine, because I'll just drink, like, espresso or, like, cold brew. Right, 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 right. Hmm. Um, so that's usually, like, my my mix for the, especially for, like, mornings, where I'll be, like, I'll have coffee, and I'll have, like, a sativa, and then I'll be, like, really creative. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, when I'm writing, I, I, I can't be, I have to be completely clean, completely sober. Um, I notice a lot of my ideas, though, do come from when I am in a in an altered creative state, but when I'm actually like trying to sit down and write, like for my book, for instance, I had a lot of the the ideas came months and months earlier, even over the summer, you know, when I was back home and around family. Um, but the real like hard work, I, I had to I had to <laughs> I had to be in a in a uh, sober state of mind for sure. Yeah. I definitely save, I say the drinking is for like daily operations getting through, like, but the weed is more for celebratory moments, I think, so, yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the the path of like, um, dependency is you start doing a thing, um, only to like celebrate or only because it's like fun and to feel good, but then you start doing it when you're right. sad. You're like, oh, I want to feel good. Like, let me do the celebratory thing. And then all of a sudden, you're having to do it to not feel bad. <laughs> and, then, and then there you go. <laughs> it is indeed a slippery slope. There's so many. I feel like um, I'm making all these connections in my mind. Um, there's that. Going back to Cat Williams, there's a. Uh, I think it's like the same stand up or a different one where you start talking the tiger sketch. Oh, yes. Like, the I don't tiger. Feel like a tiger. All I'm saying is you got to look at this shit from the tiger's motherfucking viewpoint. First of all, this ain't no fake ass got it at the mall, tiger. This a real goddamn tiger, like the kind that be on National Geographic every time you turn it on, on the back of a wildebeest ass and shit. (laughs) Wildebeest don't even be dead. I'm not even dead, Jack. I don't give a fuck, bitch. I'm hungry now. Real fucking tiger. And every day, they got this real fucking tiger in a fake-ass habitat. Real fucking tiger, fake-ass habitat. And the tiger not supposed to know as a real tiger that this is a speaker system. (laughs) And every fucking day, the tiger be fucked up because he be conflicted. Everything in the tiger spirit is telling him, nigga, you a motherfucking monster, nigga. You a beast. You run the jungle, nigga. You supposed to roar and shit's supposed to happen. 
and every fucking day the tiger come out and tried and the shit don't work. And some of us know how the fuck that feel to be trying shit and trying shit, trying shit and trying shit, don't work. Trying shit and trying shit, won't work. Trying shit and try, switch it up. Trying shit, trying shit, won't work. That's how the fuck the tiger feel. Every goddamn day he come out with the roar and shit. Just... Wish me luck, wish me luck. Take a camera phone picture of me right in the middle of my goddamn roar. You see how they disrespect the tiger? These four tigers don't know what the fuck to do. It'd be four, five real tigers in a fake-ass habitat. What the fuck you think them tigers talk about every goddamn day? Nothing but what the fuck they would do if a motherfucker was to ever, ever, ever climb they goddamn foot over the goddamn gate. That's all the fuck they talk about. Just, I wish a motherfucker would climb in this goddamn cave. But then it also made me think of Tiger King. And there's something weird <laughs> that made me think of Tiger King. Don't even start. And I couldn't remember what it was. I have not watched Tiger King because someone explained the premise to me and immediately I was like, well, that shit ain't for me. So... <laughs> oh, no, you... I determined by white patriarchal capitalist anti-black standards so you know who's getting a bad rap probably bats bats are probably going to get a bad rap and go extinct probably <laughs> i feel like i feel like bat reputation was already so low that they didn't have like that far to go down <laughs> It wasn't like it was like a golden retriever that started and then people were like, oh no, now we can't like support golden retrievers. <laughs> uh, so, I guess we're going to talk about the thing that we don't really want to talk about, but it's happening, so we should. So recently, I think, was it last week or the week before that, it came out that the statistics of black and brown, well, black people specifically dying from COVID-19 were like 
exponentially higher, um, particularly in places like, uh, it looks like Detroit, um, Louisiana, um, and a lot of rhetoric and thought exercises were thrown around to discuss why that may be the case. (laughs) So I guess first, uh... If Max, if you have the numbers, can you talk about those numbers first, and then we'll dig into it? Yeah, I don't have, um, I had looked for, like, some specific, like, breakdowns, but I found only, like, a few by state. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I can give an example of one. Okay. Um, let's see. Michigan, um, wait, hold on. Um, yeah. 40% 40% of Michigan deaths are uh, African Americans, even though only 14% of Michigan is African American. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Let's see some other numbers. Uh, Illinois, uh, oh. 41%, 41% of the deaths in Illinois are black people. Only in 15, only 15% of Illinois' population is black. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are yeah, some of the. I guess numbers to give an idea. And when you drill down into the state and go into like the cities, in particular Detroit and Chicago, the percentage is actually even higher. I think like in the the late '60s, early '70s, percentage wise. So, do y'all want to do y'all want to take a guess at at what pundits and talking heads are saying is the reason for this? Yeah, I mean. Um, we live, first of all, in horrible living conditions, not by choice, but by force. Mm -hmm. We, this is a respiratory disease, so we are in the most polluted areas. We live next to freeways. I mean, it's even hard for me to say this because it's like, uh, no, duh, that, you know, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, it's like, the it you've never the issue have never been solved so of course when things like this happen it's only going to expose it more um you know we live and we live they put us in the projects which are you know places where your neighbor is extremely close to you i mean it's it's extremely close to you even in um if something like this isn't happening so you know a lot of people haven't had the privilege to social distance um because they live in such they live in such close quarters not to mention, you know, there, I mean, there's so many factors. We, you know, black people, we don't have the choice to, oh, if I'm going to, I have to stay home or, you know, um, we, we don't have those luxuries of like, oh, I'm, I, there's a virus, so I can't work. So a lot of us are going out and risking our lives mm-hmm. so that, you know, we can make money and feed our families. Um, I mean, it, it, not to mention the healthcare system. We already know what's up with the healthcare system. We already know a lot of us don't have healthcare. Y'all know what it is. <laughs> if you okay, if you do get healthcare, they're gonna get if they're gonna give you the runaround. And mm-hmm. if you come in there, there have been many black people who have attested and have anecdotes of and the and the research is there of coming into the medical office and saying that something's wrong with them, and being turned away or being told, oh, you know, go take some over the counter medicine, and then you know. Mm-hmm. It, much more serious when it could have been prevented or cured at an earlier stage so i mean you know the the list the list is endless 
Um, and you know, there have been some comedians, you know, that have been throwing out, you know, some some funny stuff there, you know, here and there to uplift that, you know, it's basically saying black people don't listen, that we haven't been social distancing. And, and, and I don't agree with that. <laughs> I don't. I don't agree with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I and I don't. And I think you know the comedians, the people that have been saying that, you know, it's, it's just to. I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and just say that you know it's just to bring some lightness and humor to the situation. But the, the situation ain't humorous at all. Right. So you know, but I mean, the list the list goes on. But that's that's some of the things that I you know immediately was like. Of course, of course, of course we are, you know? Yeah. Of course we are. And then, like, you take all of that, and then you pile that on top of the physical and emotional toll that living with structural violence creates. Um, And that is, that's a recipe for disaster. But the thing that is pissing me off is that it's not just the comedians and the entertainers and the celebs that are saying, like, borderline stupid shit about black people. Because, and I'll get to that later, I don't expect much from celebrities, but mm-hmm. it's, like, the fucking Surgeon General and, like, TV personalities like Van Jones, like, other black people, like, right. chiding um, black people and, and telling them that they need to stay home like they have a fucking choice in the matter right blaming blaming them for high blood pressure blaming them for hypertension blaming them for higher rates of obesity don't even get me started on the stupid bmi system whatever Mm -hmm. um and just like blaming black people for the structural like violence the structural um racism that was created specifically to kill black people right and it's just like I know that we all live with anti-blackness, but it just hurts me more when I see black people in the public eye saying these stupid, hurtful, dangerous things that don't help the situation. Yeah, because although we would like not to be a monolith, the way that things are set up as it is, is that when we do speak, we are, the way it's set up, we do speak for, you know, we are speaking for the collective and it's a reflect it always falls a, as a reflection on to other black people and i don't think it should be that way mm-hmm. you know and and, and and sometimes i get caught up in the paradox you know when, when something good is happening i'm like yeah, yeah let's reflect that but when it's up you know people who i can't even name i don't want to even let their <laughs> their name come out of my mouth okay to, to interrupt my <laughs> my spiritual balance but you know, people like that. I'm like, oh, please, you know, don't look at them. You know, thinking that that's how we all think, or what, whatever the case may be. But yeah, I, I wish, I wish that I say that to say, I just wish that all people, but especially black people, in knowing that, are more aware um, with when they speak, and especially, you know, with with great you know, privilege comes great responsibility. You know, if you have the privilege, you know, Van Jones, you, you spoke about to have a platform, just, you know, be wise in in, in what you say, mm-hmm. because it can affect other people. And I, I would even, and I would even, you know, retract a little bit on my, on my statement, no matter who you are, what mm-hmm. you're going to, what you say is going to reflect back on other people. So yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I didn't, that sucks that, you know, that that's happening. Um, because it only it only feeds the 
en- the en- the enemy, which is white supremacy, mm-hmm. to to flourish and be like, oh well, yeah, it isn't our responsibility, mm-hmm. which is their whole, which is the whole. I feel premise of white supremacy's goal mm-hmm. is to just be able to continue doing the bullshit that it does, and the terror, and the horror, and the murdering, and all of the sickness that it creates without having any responsibility, mm-hmm. and to have people in society accept that it shouldn't have any responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a it's a dire situation right now, though. So I do appreciate people, you know, like. Um, uh, Angela uh, is it Angela Rye I think Angela oh. Angela Rye and speaking out and saying things but um, you know I it, it's a it's a whole complex mess but I don't appreciate when people like you were saying are blaming the victims <laughs> for you know for something that the oppressor did so yeah I just think it's ridiculous to think that black people who endure so much violence in every workplace would choose going to the workplace over their own health voluntarily. That is absurd. They are going because they have to. They are going because they have to survive. Because the health system here is shit. The insurance system here is shit. There is no safety net. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and those of us who do have the privilege to work from home, such as myself, are barely hanging on by a thread. Um, so, and I, I mean, I have a couple of friends, a couple of black friends that just flat out had to quit their jobs because they were being forced to go in in the middle of all this. They had to quit, which means they give up unemployment, they give up all those benefits in order to save their own life. So, like, the whole thing about, like, chiding black people like their children is just, it's insulting and infuriating, and it's just, it's a whole mess. It's a whole mess. So, yeah. What about you, Max? What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I mean, in general, like, thinking about, um, the pandemic and, like, quarantining, I've been, like, <clears throat> you know, like, up and down emotionally as far as, like, um, how I've been feeling about it. Yeah, but when, like, the numbers started to come out, about um like how much more is like affecting black people um that's like really when it became i guess like more devastating and i think at that point is when i stopped um really like taking in news and stuff like that because then it just became so it's like yeah like the truth that's always the ever-present truth but then like seeing this reality and like you know like why is like it just it's just so frustrating and it's like really like infuriating and it like makes me like sad and angry it's like why like why do like more black people have to be dying because of this like it's like why does this like it's like in every in every aspect of life like it's like the this like you know unfair system unfair thing and then even even when it comes to like a disease like a a, like a pandemic that anybody can potentially get it still disproportionately like affects like black communities it's like it's so it's just it feels so impossible to like escape and it's really it's just really devastating that's really been sad yeah yeah i i i uh have been debating debating whether or not i'm gonna share this but i just am i um one of the scariest things about this is for me personally, and I only shared this with family and friends, but before, like about, I would say a week ago, before these statistics really started coming out that I was aware of, I actually had a dream 
that I was in some like hospital and I was like putting on like a mask and like there were nothing but like white people with me. Like we were like volunteers or something going to help people for COVID. I remember, I remember it vividly. And I remember the leader of our group was like this white woman and she was like, yeah, okay, so everyone put on your mask. Like, you know, the situation is dire. And when we went in there, there were nothing but beds and beds of black people in the beds. And when I, and I specifically remember seeing two little black girls that were like sisters and they were like talking on the bed. And then I remember seeing like an old black man and just like looking around and seeing that it was nothing but me, like our people. And when I woke up from the dream, I was like, that was weird. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks later, like this information came out. So I was like, okay, ancestors, I know y'all trying to, I know y'all trying to send uh, something, but it was, it was an intense, it was an intense moment. And so that's just a little anecdote. That's just a little anecdote that I, you know, felt uh, compelled to share. But yeah, the entire situation has been, has been very intense. And I'm, I'm more so interested in what we can do and it's like but it seems like the responsibility always comes back on us though again to fix the situation mm-hmm. but I have to think about you know, where, what can we do to help or support you know those communities that are specifically affected you name like Detroit and you know New Orleans Louisiana um, Chicago you know because um, yeah I, they're not going to help this is what they want yeah black people dying I mean that, that's the plan it's yeah. <sighs> yeah, no, it's it sucks. It's yeah, it's really sad. Um but I guess we're gonna <laughs> try to um jump to a new subject. Um We clearly need to work on our transitions. <laughs> mild, mild segue. I don't know. <laughs> If we just need, like, some weird, um, what's the word, uh, sound effect. Um, but then, yeah, like, I'm, I guess to go back to more personally, um, what is, like, what's a good quarantine day and what's a bad quarantine day? Mm. (sighs) A good quarantine day is when I don't get a million emails from, <laughs> from people I don't want emails from about nonsense and and where I can honestly detach. Like, I, I will say, like, the first two weeks when everything was on lockdown, it was, for myself, like, some of the most like something very soothing because no one was contacting me all I was doing was checking in on family and friends every day and I've spoken to family and you know extended family I haven't spoken to in years Mm -hmm. and so it was great to build those connections again and I just was chilling with my partner and just was like it was like the world was silent and now you know things are things are getting back up but that would that's a great quarantine day where I can just kind of be to myself and I you know don't really be, I don't really have to do much coming from an already hermit <laughs> so um, that's the thing I will say uh, I would say a bad quarantine day um, I definitely get like 
I don't know. I don't want to say. I don't want to say depression, but I definitely get like spurts of like intense anxiety that like make me feel really down. Um, just when I think about you know what we were just talking about, black people dying and people dying. Period. But specifically, black people dying, um, and just kind of like the uncertainty of it all. So I kind of have to like keep. But, you know, like do something to keep myself busy or like, you know, stretch or or do do something. That's a bad quarantine day. Should I I should have done the good the bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. what, what about, about you, Melanie? You? Oh me. Um a good quarantine day is when I'm able to like focus enough to make some fun art. Um whether it's like work on my comic or a quick little commission job um and i get to eat delicious foods and watch some good stuff on on netflix or hulu or whatever a bad day is when i like i feel like this intense resentment against this idea of having to be productive right now and that kicks in yeah. And it forces me to, like, mentally shut down and refuse to do anything that day. Yeah. That's been happening a lot yeah. more lately. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck this. I'm just going to lie in bed and do nothing or read some terrible, terrible, like, literature or whatever. Trash literature. Right. Because uh, the world is ending and I deserve this. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Max? Um, a good, I'll do my bad day. Um, I think a bad day is, um, well, maybe, maybe I'll do a good day so it'll make you show, like, maybe because maybe you'll hear a bad day and, like, oh, that sounds horrible, but then you hear my good day and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound too much bad. Um, <laughs> so a good day is I'll wake up, I'll feel like I have energy, I won't feel, like, crappy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll, like, you know, like, I'll probably, like, brush my teeth and, like, have, like, a, an official start to my day. I feel like ours is always, like, a good day. Um, you know, like, probably make breakfast at a timely fashion. Um, what else? If I if I do have, like, two productive things, I consider that, like, a good day. And then we'll have, like, guilt-free, like, hanging out or, like, watching TV. Um, but then a bad day would be maybe I'd wake up feeling, like, um, sick or something from eating too much junk food the night before. Um, um, I may not even brush my teeth. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Then, then I would probably um, just um, automatically go into like um, being lazy and like watching a show or something, and um, but feel guilty about it, and um, maybe not even check my to do list, and then maybe drink a lot or smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll do that. I'll do that on the good day too. But it'll feel different. I'll be doing it with a smile. Day, like, on a bad day, I'm like doing it with a sad face. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, yeah, we're just, like, bouncing around. Um, so I, there's maybe, I have, a, I have, like, a non-quarantine question, and I have a quarantine question, so maybe I'll have to ask the quarantine question first. Okay. Um, this is just something, like, I'm in general, Melanie and I have already talked about this a little bit. But I'm still trying to understand what it all means. Um, but what is like what is quarantining? Like what are the what are the rules? Like it seems like it's so 
vague and arbitrary yeah. and everybody's doing their own thing and it's not like it doesn't seem like it's set then like i'm not trying to like be like a like a hard ass but at the same time i don't want to be be the only person restricting myself and then it's like what what is quarantining yeah i mean in california i mean it's always changing and i feel like that's what has been the thing because it definitely definitely started off as just stay six feet from someone else Mm -hmm. so you know don't but then they were saying that like people were going in droves to like the beach and like people were going you know to um the the parks and they had to close the parks down but then they were saying people you can get you know uh you can get fresh air and you know for me i'm you know it's all a little interesting to me because i'm like what oh when i go to the if i did want to go to the beach um you know i i'm i'm definitely going to be six feet away from people but y'all are saying i can't go to the beach but i can go to the grocery store and i'm definitely going to be more in contact with people at the grocery store than I went, than I am at the beach. And, you know, I understand like people in Miami, you know, spring breakers or whatever, they, you know, were like not, they were going to the beach but not being six feet away or whatever it is. But I think that the, the whole thing is very um, confusing. And now I think that it is at the point where they're basically saying like like go like you can only stay in your house and you can only go outside if you need like medicine or you have to go to the grocery store but otherwise you have to stay inside i i mean what i don't know it's it's a it's it's a mess i just keep saying it's a mess because it it is it is a mess and it's not my mess to clean up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i see i feel like for me, or just, this is just based on the stuff I've been witnessing, it seemed like um, more in the beginning, it seemed like um, there was more like people staying inside, but I guess now, you know, the sun's been out in Portland and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people were like, we're going outside, it seems like the entire time, you know, based on people, what people are posting on social media and what other people are like posting, complaining about on social media. Um, that, like people all the time are like going outside and like going on walks and stuff like that. And like, I go on walks. I don't like, you know, I'm not around anybody, but I'll like, I'll walk around my block and stuff. Um, but then like, you know, living by Alberta, normally it's like a really busy street, but now it's like super dead. But then it seems like now that, um, like this week, maybe like, um, now people are starting to say like maybe the curve is like starting to flatten or whatever that it seems like maybe people are like starting to like be more lax in quarantining or in social distancing but then um it seems so it seems like everybody has their own definition of what that is because then it's like the same thing you were saying is like if i'm gonna like hang out with my friend at their house that's like wrong right but then if like i um am at a grocery store with a bunch of strangers this is like the same distance i would be at if i was hanging out with my friend so like I can I, I can understand some people like rationalizing rationalizing that, but then I'm just like I just I just I don't know about any of it, and I'm like confused. But um, yeah. about like what's because like it's like all right, I'm going on a walk, and then here's somebody walking to six feet away from me, um, and then what is that? How does that change? To, you know, like when people are like, oh, you go to your front porch, and I'll like hang out on the sidewalk, and we can like talk to each other. Yeah. Is that does that fit within the rules? Yeah, I mean, and and for me, I will say that if it if it is an I am legend airborne disease, then okay, then I'm gonna catch it because I, <laughs> I'm just 
I'm just like, there's no way. Like, there, there's no way that I can't, you know, like what you're saying. If I'm, you're saying six feet, but if it's, if it's that bad, then we all, if, if, then we all have it. We all have it, and then we hope, you know, it, that's, that's what it's going to be. But I, I don't know. I, I'm not even going to go down conspiracies, conspiracy lists, because I do wholeheartedly believe the virus is real. But I also do believe, I just said I wasn't going to go down to a serious thing, but I, <laughs> I, I do wholeheartedly believe the virus is real. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that the government is taking this as an opportunity to kill, like, you know, get 20 things done at once with one stone. You know, I've tried to go away from killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's a horrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, but, the government are some multitaskers. But as long as you don't bring up 5G towers, we're cool. So... <laughs> wait, can you, wait, can you say that again? As long as you don't bring up 5G towers, we're, we're straight. You know what? We, we don't, I won't do that today. But, <laughs> but, but I will say that I was, I was talking about that two years ago before everyone started. <laughs> Before everyone started connecting it to uh, Corona, I, I was talking about it two years ago, and I made I made an artist video that was a that was a compilation of uh, actual news clips of talking about it. So it was like I, I guess a documentary of sorts. I didn't put any of my own commentary. It was just news news clips that I grabbed and T-Mobile and Sprint's actual commercial talking about that they were introducing 5G to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I don't I think that how people are you know making the connection I think it is a little bit uh, it, it's making the direct connection I think it is very sensitive to the people that are dying and that are suffering and losing their lives and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's like I said the government always it's a capitalist white supremacist society so they're always going to take of course take opportunity when something like this is happening like and i and i don't want to ever be naive to be like oh yeah the fact that we all just sit home the government's in home too hell no we know that they are yeah. figuring out ways to oppress ways to empower themselves and and further whatever agenda it is that they're doing and so i think that that's where i can give you know a little you know an olive branch to those people who are like 5G, 5G, you know, like, and two, like, that's their way of coping. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's their yeah. way of, of, of trying to and also, you know, call people's attention to what I've just, you know, uh, spoken about, that the government is still evil. <laughs> yeah. It's still doing bad things. Yeah. I just got to say that it sounds very conspiracy theorist of you to be like, oh, yeah, well, I've been talking about that two years ago, <laughs> and I have a video about it already. I've been on this. <laughs> so I think there's a there's a meme I saw today um, where it was like it was 4G, 5G. Um, it was, no, it's like yeah, 4G, 5G, coronavirus ain't gonna kill this G. Okay, all right. <laughs> the meme. The meme. <laughs> so many good memes. So many. I was. I was. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was telling Max about this one meme I saw using the still from Queen and Slim of the of the that guy driving them to the airport at the end 
And someone captioned it, December 2019, driving us into 2020. Oh, yes. He didn't know what he was getting to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Like, um, yeah, Max and I were talking about this earlier. Max was telling me about, like, all these um, EPA regulations that have been dropped in the middle of all this. I didn't even know about that. Right, see? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, Max? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Um, 95 environmental rules being rolled back under Trump. Um, oh. 58 have already been completed. There's a 30, another 37 that are in the process. Um, having to do with things from air pollution and emissions, drilling and extraction, um, infrastructure and planning, animals, toxic substance and safety, water pollution, and other um so yeah then it seems like since the end of end of last year um currently there's been this massive um deregulation of environmental standards and safety that um you know it's typical as like you know to to both your points about like in times of uncertainty and upheaval evil people will use that for opportunities to like make money or to you know get the things they want when um you know the world's in crisis yeah yeah and i and i will say i can't i can't i've been saying evil people a lot i don't believe any person is fully evil i think every person has the opportunity to become enlightened and and practice good but i think that the way things are going right now there's a lot of people who are doing very evil and malicious things so i just i just wanted to make that um put that out there for sure um, I am going to go on record and say that there, I think that there are people who are fully evil and need to be stopped. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go on record and say I don't, I don't think people are fully evil, but I do think there are evil people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a nicer way of saying it. Okay. That's fine. So well, I... <laughs> I, had, I had the benefit of, of talking third, so I just <laughs> The secret. <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right, so what art are you getting into right now? Like other people's art, Kai. Other people's art. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do identify as a writer, filmmaker, so I've been watching as we all probably have, but I've been, I, I, I feel like I do watch films differently mm -hmm. than probably, you know, the mass people do. Um, as many other, you know, whatever art you're looking at, you're you're at differently. So the films that I've been watching, I watch them for pleasure, but I also watch them for technique. And I watched, uh, finally got around to watching Parasite, mm. uh, and was blown the fuck back. Mm. <laughs> so that, you know, I I think uh, what it had to say about you know class and economics was incredible and I also think uh, just that type of filmmaking I've never seen that done before so um, just with some of the cinematography specifically there was like a lot of uh, slowing down and speeding up um, of scenes and in, in areas that you would I mean it was it was incredible I'm gonna have to definitely take another look at it and I paid for it oh and then it came out on Hulu, Hulu yeah <laughs> <laughs> like a week later um, 
but yeah, I, I got around to watching Queen and Slim, mm, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, had a con- you know had conversations about that. I was you know I, I expressed my my intense disappointment with how the film ended. Um, but you know, I mean, I I just I what I especially taking um, from Melanie and I's conversation, we chatted about it a little bit. I just hope that black filmmakers, and I'm taking Melanie's words specifically, I hope that black, I hope that, because you said it in the best way, I hope that black filmmakers and artists come to understand that black people deserve happy endings too. That is a Melanie Stevens quote for you. Uh, and, that's, and that's all I have to say on, on that subject. And good things come in threes, so why not put another one out there? Um, the third, the third piece of art that I've been looking at, um, definitely, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates, The Water Dancer. Oh, okay. I, I, I bought it, um, and I've, and I've got to chat, and I, I had to put it down because I started writing my novelette or, you know, um, short story, and when I'm creating for myself, I can't have the same. I can't have the same medium, like be experiencing someone else's meet, you know, in the same medium mm-hmm. as I'm creating that medium. So, in other words, if I'm writing, I can't be looking at another writer's writing. That's just how I work. Is that a fear of like cross pollination or? It, it definitely, it definitely is. Um, it, it, I wouldn't even say fear. It's a, it's a requirement so that I don't get any cross pollination. <laughs> And, and two, it does, it hampers my creativity because I can't, you know, if there's too much influence coming in, I can't, you know, bloom out. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a a cloud. Mm -hmm. And I, and I know cloud can be negative, um, but it it does, it puts a, it puts a hamper on my creativity because I'm looking at this excellent piece of work and it makes me second guess. And I mean, there's just a list of things of why I don't do that. Um, and writing, writing specifically, films is a little different, mm-hmm. but writing, I have to step away. But the book, I mean, just from where I am and things that I've heard, just absolutely incredible. So okay. um, those, are, those are the three arts that I've been getting into these past couple of days for sure. Okay. Cool. Um, I had I had one more question. Um, you know, I think you're, you're, yeah, I think you're the first um, guest we've had on that is also a Drinking Gourd Fellow, and um, mm-hmm. Drinking Gourd Fellowship is a project, uh, you know, Melanie and I have done, but we haven't really talked about it too much on the podcast, and um, I thought it would be cool to um, talk to you a little bit about it as, as yes. somebody that was a fellow and also somebody that exhibited in the show, and also... Um, like as I was thinking about you being like a DGF fellow, I was remembering like our long relationship with you from like you know we we talked about recently um, or years me, yeah me teeing your class yeah and then um, you know the the pop up at um, Bison oh, Building yeah more yeah yeah and then um, what was the thing and then oh yeah and then I guess um, some soft crossover and then, mm-hmm. yeah DG uh, DGF. I was like, oh, yeah, there's been been a few different things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it was an incredible opportunity. I think that one thing that I really admire about you both is your willingness to 
make things to to step away from the other institutions or models that have already been up you know set forth um that do disparage black artists or artists of color um in the drinking gourds case uh you know you one of the things that y'all were saying in terms of the drinking gourd and correct me if i'm wrong but um you guys were talking about how you wanted to make it accessible you wanted to make the funding to where artists can just do their thing mm-hmm. you know it's not all of these prerequisites that like again I, I personally feel disparage black and brown artists artists of color I feel like those are set to disparage us and even other artists to really keep you from getting the funding because um, I don't, I, don't I, I just wish grants it, sh- it shouldn't be that hard I just I mm-hmm. really I really feel like if you have a great project like boom you get it or you don't um, but all of this you know like things that that disparage the artist or like it has to be written in this you know exact way and you know it's life but um i really appreciated that with with you guys that you were like no we see that there's an issue with this system and we're gonna you know figure it out and change it and see how it works and you know even the fact that y'all were able to find i think what, what was it like 10 10 or something artists you were able to yeah. find yeah like, that's like that's incredible so um, and I know for me, I, I, you know, I can't speak for any other artists, but for myself, like it got my film done. <laughs> it, got, it, it allowed me to, you know, pay my, I mean, the film would have been done, but it allowed me to do, get the film done in a way that made it feel really like morally closed, you mm-hmm. know, like there was a chapter, it closed on a good note. I was able to pay the person who helped me with like almost everything. You know, it was my sound person, my 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 you know assistant director, like mm-hmm. just helped me location scout. Like I mean, just you know, it was it was endless. So the fact of me being able to pay her and support her was everything. Um, and I know for some of the other artists, like maybe it was you know their their printing fees or like you know them having the agency to just have the resource there and create. So yeah, I'm forever grateful, and I've I've really enjoyed also too being able to present my project with the other artists and kind of like you know that was a moment of collaboration as well that didn't require so much legwork on the artist because sometimes that takes away from our you know making is like oh well you know i also need to like you you know go and network like all of that was already um created by what y'all created which was the drinking board fellowship so i really appreciate that well we appreciate you and the work that you did and we're honored that you were part of it it was an honor to be a part of it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, everything that Melanie said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're gonna, we're on the verge of wrapping it up. But first, um, I wanted to include a segment, a newish segment called the Sealy's Glass of Water. Um which is a special shout out I do for folks who are doing the most with not even the least. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Talking Trash About Shug. Folks don't like nobody being too proud or too free. So today's glass goes out to celebrities. Hey, celebrities. Hey, y'all. Hey. Are y'all okay? I normally, for the most part, don't look to celebs for political metrics because I love myself. (laughs) I instead see them for what they are, 
avatars for their actual selves, which act as entertainment for us and capital for them. Cool? Cool. That's the agreement. That's what we sign up for with celebrities. But lately, y'all have been trying it. Between Gal Gadot and company and their little sing-along to John Lennon, don't even get me started on her or him, Vanessa Hudgens and her weird brand of ignorance and apathy couched in nihilism, Teddy Riley trying to turn a profit off of old-ass music, and this whole thing about encouraging folks with far less money to, to donate to organizations. I'm looking at you, Pharrell, with your new black ass. I'm tired. We are tired, and we are certainly not in the mood for any of it. I get that we all cope in different ways. I know that. In some way, we're all going through it. But some of us are going through it more than others. And you know what, y'all? Less politically-minded celebrities, particularly those who are incapable of reading the room, can do to help? That's right. You can take a sip of this big, tall glass of shut the hell up and mind your business. People are dying. And no one is in the mood for your tired-ass, good-vibes-only messaging. Least of all, me. All right. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, so we're going to end it now with parting words. I'll go first, and then Max, and then Kai can close it off. Hello. So, first of all, I would like to thank our guest, Makai Ariane, for coming on. Thank you. And chatting yeah. with us. Um, I know you're a very busy person. You've got a lot to get done. Um, and we time for y'all. Oh, thank you. Always. And I know that the folks uh, will enjoy listening to you talk about your work. So I'm super excited about that. Um, thank you, Max, for being a great partner in art crime as usual. You're the best. Um, and then finally, imagine a world in which people use their social capital and media influence for good. It's easy if you try. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you, Melanie. Um, yeah, thank you to our guests. Um, Kai, it's been really cool having you on. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. Um, thanks for Skyping in with us. Um, it's been fun. Thank you to Melanie Stevens. Um, an amazing podcast co-host um, so great at all the things um, what else oh yeah my, my parting word was originally just going to be Finmo at Maxi Max <laughs> but then I said all that other stuff so um, that's it I'm going to stop talking alright yeah I would just say thank you so so much for having me um, I am I mean, this was incredible. I've never been on a podcast before, so it was nice that um, this was the podcast that popped my cherry. And <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really excited, too, that I got the opportunity to talk about my book, which is coming out, uh, Mustard Greens. It's a cinematic short story. It will be out April 20th, 2020. That's next week, Monday. Mm. Um, you can purchase a copy at makaiarian.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Makai underscore Ariane. And, yeah, thank you so much. Always, always humble, always grateful. So thank you so much, NTP, Nat Turner Project. You know, I love the title of your – I love that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye, y'all. Signing off.
All I'm saying, you gotta enjoy your motherfucking life. That's all the fuck I'm saying. Enjoy your goddamn life. Life is fucking short. Enjoy that shit. Some of y'all just need to smoke some weed and see if it don't help the quality of your motherfucking life. I know, I see some of y'all. Look, I understand. If you ain't smoking weed because you got a good job, then by all means, make your paper, boo-boo. But if you ain't got no job and you not smoking weed, I don't know what the fuck you are doing with your life. I really don't. I really don't. Don't give me that shit about it's a drug. It ain't no motherfucking drug. I done done the research. It's just a plant. It just grow like that. And if you should so happen to set it on fire, <laughs> there are some effects. But that's not the same as drugs. Drugs, you got to do shit to it chemically. You got to add baking soda, water, stir it up. I don't know the recipe. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's some shit you got to do to it. Well, why the fuck is it legal? I don't know. Aspirin is perfectly legal, but if you take 13 of them motherfuckers, it'll be your last headache. <laughs> Long as you've been living, you ain't never heard of a motherfucker overdose on marijuana. You might have thought that nigga was dead. He ain't dead. He gonna wake up in 30 minutes, hungry enough to eat up everything in your house. That's the side effect. Hungry, happy, sleeping. That's it.